0: i'm a free black man hold up my head black man beautiful black man I don't dare feel nice man i love your brother black man then chase your dreams black man and get that cream black man we the original man what's going on everyone welcome to another edition of confessions of a native son i'm your host iron mike steadman a marine corps veteran entrepreneur and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking and engaging dialogue about race culture and business with the legalization of marijuana in 15 states and the opening of medical dispensaries all across the country, the rapidly growing cannabis industry is played with more questions than answers from Black Americans, particularly with regards to criminalization and equity within the space. To get a better understanding of the landscape, I invited on the show Jackie Cohen Roth, founder and CEO of Pad, a social enterprise and professional networking group for the cannabis industry. TPAD is a change maker whose mission is to break down barriers to entry and to empower people to participate in the cannabis industry, no matter gender or race. TPAD is actively challenging the industry to walk the talk of diversity and inclusion. In the following episode, Jackie and I discuss the history of marijuana in the United States, the criminalization laws that led to mass incarceration, and the systemic racism plaguing today's cannabis industry. This topic is very near and dear to my heart as a Black American who's witnessed countless young Black men and women go to prison for selling marijuana. While Black Americans continue to fight for representation in the military and corporate America, the cannabis industry is repeating the same patterns of systemic exclusion. As always, I appreciate you for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. And circle back to the hood and teach them to do, it, do, it, do, it, do it, do it, do it, do it, And circle back to your hood and teach them to do it. And we are live. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Confessions of a Native Son. It's such a pleasure to record this show for you all today, man. I really enjoy this podcast, if you can't tell. I actually have the privilege of sitting with Jackie Cohen-Roth, founder and CEO of Cannabis MD and Pad. Uh, super excited to have her on the platform today. So uh, let's welcome her. What's going on, Jackie?
1: Hey, I'm really excited to be here, Mike. Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Can you take a moment and introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Sure. Um, Well, so again, my name is Jackie Cohen Roth, and um, I do actually three. Fairly significant things in the cannabis industry right now. Um, founder of uh, Cannabis MD, which is a platform focused on filling the void of cannabis science education, particularly for physicians, but uh, do events that uh, support education of physicians, patients, and the industry professionals. Uh, then um, uh, another company that I have in the industry is something called TPAD, where the mission of TPAD is to break down barriers to entry into the cannabis industry and to empower access, no matter gender or race, via education. And then the third uh, focus of mine, actually, is I'm in graduate school because I say, yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I need one more thing to do. But on um, very unique program, uh, I'm in the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, the very first graduate program in medical cannabis science and therapeutics. So um, who's counting? But about four months, uh, I will have a Master's of Science. Very excited about that.
0: Congratulations to you for that, man. That's a that's not a that's not a small accomplishment, and I love you're like me. In a sense, you're really focusing in on this cannabis space yeah. and doing everything in your power to uh, increase your credibility and your own personal understanding. As yeah, well.
1: you know, thank you for that, because somebody said to me along the way is like, Jackie, what are you doing? You're everywhere. And I said, you know, what? no, is that in order to, for me um, to be the best professional and subject matter expert I can be um, is, to, is to study and know as much as I possibly can. And as I have um really dive into this is that there is so much uh uh intersection of um the inequity in cannabis and the background of where uh, cannabis science is today
0: Absolutely. And you know you know me and you are both entrepreneurs and part of me thinks too you know I have a business coach and he came up in the age where you like had your manufacturing company for like 20 years uh-huh. and sold it but we're a lot different now this generation. You know technology has made stuff so much more access- accessible for us And so I'm starting to see a lot more entrepreneurs like us that have multiple hustles going on.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I say, I mean, personally, I have a shit ton of energy and my focus is always to use it for greater good than evil. So, you know, that's part of being an entrepreneur is we've got that energy in the hustle, like you said.
0: And I tell people too, we're also not binging net. I mean, I binge Netflix every now and then, but for the most part, you know, we're, we're grinding away. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what you're gonna do with all this stuff and I'm super happy to have you as part of my network now. Thank you. Now Thank me you. and Jackie actually met at a uh New Jersey event because I don't even know what to call it. This group I'm a part of, but they are really pushing to get uh tea is it Tea Leaf?
1: Uh what? Turn was, leaf. Turning, Turn turning Leaf Centers, yes, yeah.
0: Turning Leaf Centers. Yeah. yeah so they're they're fighting for um really to get the dispensary up here in the state of New Jersey. Correct, um, right. And just really taking that fight and creating opportunities for founders such as myself within the space. And, you know, they held this amazing event. I didn't even know what it was. Like, I have a mentor. Mm-hmm. And when he calls, I go and he's like, You're going to this event tonight. I was like, Roger that, you know. Was, that, Mike's,
1: was that Mike Minor or, or Don Vipre?
0: Don Viprey. Yes. You know, and I, I call it respect to the elders. No. You know, he's one of those guys like, we don't talk every day. But he call, if he sends me a text and tells me to do something, I respect him. And I went and I'm so glad I did because um, you just gave an amazing presentation oh, thank you for that. on uh, the history of marijuana. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff I'd already knew about the, you know, the criminalization of it, even the words that they use, mm-hmm. the racial stereotypes associated with the words uh, marijuana. And so it was great to just see an expert there. And I was like, I got to get you on my podcast. Thank you. Here I've been I've been wanting to explore this, you know, for some time um, because, you know, just quick overview. Can you give us a current state of the cannabis space with regards to equity?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, it's actually very inequitable (laughs) is the current state. And um, how you and I met was, I would say, you know, the most the the. Uh, exciting opportunity um, is in um, New Jersey. So, New Jersey, um, the voters um, uh, November third uh, voted for an adult use market, which means that now um, it go it's it's up to the uh, the regulators to establish first re- establish a regulatory body build a team of of commissioners, and create the rules and regulations about this new industry. And what New Jersey has this really exciting opportunity, and they're talking about it, is that to incorporate equity in the cannabis industry, to right the wrongs um, of the war of drugs, where the war on drugs is just decimated lives and communities.
0: Is it really a new industry, though, or is this an industry that's been existent Forever on a separate economy.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, 5,000 years. Right. Is that cannabis has been used by humankind for 5,000 years. Right. I mean, and that's what's really cool about the industry, um, I think, is that there's the coming together of where the legalization, the first market that became legalized as a uh, medical program was California in 1996. And, you know, what happened in California, of course, and, and then to um, Washington State and Oregon is those are the areas where um, illegal the black market has just, you know, that's where everybody was getting their weed pretty much. Right. And um, so this is um, what the legalization of the industry. Well, it's like that's kind of a misnomer because it's federally illegal. But as each. The states that have uh, opened up programs, whether they be um, First a Medical Program or be an adult use program or uh, a rarity, what South Dakota did is they did it all at the same time. But in any event, is pulling together these people who have these knowledge assets, the skill sets of growing, sometimes generationally, weed that has put food on their table and kept them alive, and then partnering them with uh, people who have the access to capital and creating now these multi-million dollar companies?
0: You know, for me, this is a... You know, like I'm a, I have a little bit of cognitive dissonance, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur, so I enjoy starting businesses. But I'm also, man, I'm just like, fuck, man, the way the free market works, the alleged free market and how we regulate the hell out of it to exclude certain people and maintain power. It it really bothers me a lot of times. And the thing that is so interesting about the cannabis space is we have all these emerging markets. People are making so much money. And then we're talking about equity. And it's like how much black people actually own these dispensaries or participate in this. And then we say, Oh, we'll we'll legislate, you know, 3% or whatever yeah. else. And it's like, people are making ridiculous money. Yes, off. they are. And yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's what I say. It's, uh, you know, it's great to put these things to pen and paper where Maryland was actually the first state to include a focus on equity. Right. But it's another thing to require compliance and, um, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm happy to talk about that. I mean, it's and then what you see um, in, you know, the supposed legal market and diversion to the black market, um, you know, it's it's wild west.
0: Yeah. It, I had another uh, guest on this program um, and we were talking about 40 million dollars slave. And one of the things we we're talking about were black jockeys, and how there was this really successful black jockey that uh-huh. was winning all the races back in the day, uh-huh. like the 1930s, uh-huh. whatever. And so what they came up with was a new rule to basically exclude him from participating. And in the book, they coined the, coined the term "jockey syndrome." And so when uh-huh. I think about, it's basically where you change the rules, you yeah, modify yeah. the rules to shift power. Yep. And when I think about what's going on with the cannabis industry, again, it's like, man, you got this other market that has been operating for whatever. Right, because they had to, because they couldn't get jobs anywhere else right. through, through all the other stuff right. that's going on. But now, all of a sudden, we're going to sprinkle some little morality on it, tell us it's okay for everybody, and let all these other people make a ton of money, even though we've locked people up for years. Yes, you know, on this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and actually, um, there is. It's um, big news in the in the equity, and I just don't want to. I don't want to um, misstate his name. Um, in last night, it was announced um that um michael alonzo thompson who's been incarcerated in a michigan prison um since 1996 uh, serving 42 to 62 years um for um essentially he was selling he sold four ounces of weed to an undercover cop and um the um um michigan governor just commuted his sentence so that's that's a huge deal Uh, gretchen governor gretchen whitmer
0: I'll be sure to look that up and uh, also our listeners out there. Yeah. But I don't want to steal your thunder. You know, part of having a podcast, I've become very opinionated, but I like to have the guests come on here because I, I want to learn, too. And so I'm so excited for, you know, all the knowledge you're going to mm-hmm. drop uh, for our audience on this stuff. But before we do this deep dive, we got to go ahead and give our confessions. And, uh, you know, I'll go ahead and go first. And uh, we, I'll tell you uh, out there. From the time I decided I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, I was very conscious that if you got caught with marijuana or anything like that, you were automatically excluded from being able to serve in the military, do all this kind of stuff, right? And be quite frank, right? My mom was a high school administrator. I wasn't really getting a lot of trouble. So I always stayed away from marijuana and the people I saw smoking marijuana, you know, always end up just like falling by the wayside, right? Like it just, I just didn't see good stuff coming Mm -hmm. out. Okay. i go not going to the And it's ingrained in me from the Naval Academy until I leave the Marines that if you smoke weed, you're a piece of shit. And I literally believe that. And I internalized that. And what broke me from that was when I left the military, I got uh, I was working at a private school in Newark called St. Benedict's. and I'm living in a house of 70 teenage boys. You know, and what do you think they're doing? Teenage, dumb stuff, <laughs> 15 year old smoking dope, all that kind of stuff. And I would be like, man, you guys are a piece of shit. Your life is over. And then it kind of caught me. I'm like. Where am I getting this from? You know, and yeah. the, the longer I kind of separated that distance from the military, I was like, look, I can't ruin these kids lives over this stuff like we do in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, because like in military, you get caught smoking dope. They kick you out of the military. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll kick you out of the Naval Academy versus like in the civilian world. It's more of like a teaching moment. Now, all of a sudden, you know, I'm starting to realize, is this a morale thing? What's going on? And so it really had me start to second guess myself and realize these kids aren't pieces of shit that if you smoke weed, you're not a piece of shit. And for me, I don't even know if it was weed. I smoked like CBD. Like the first time I smoked anything like that yeah. was last year, but I smoked cigars and uh-huh. stuff. And so it has to say is like, you know, I don't really, I'm questioning all the morality I've associated with. Yeah, that uh, stigma. Uh, with marijuana, the stigma, the stigma. Yeah. What about you? Mm-hmm. Your confession?
1: Ah, my confession, um, to truly understand Or not truly just to understand systemic racism. Um, I certainly, I mean, my, my, um, experience and how I was raised, my father was a son of immigrants. Um, his, his parents could not read or write English. I mean, and here I am, right. Those are my grandparents and, and who I am, but, um, and the opportunities that I've had because of my white face. Um, but you know, I grew up, um, you know, just that, you know, my own, ver- I mean, prejudice, I mean, that was, just part of my world. Um, I had, uh, when I was in third grade, um, I was, uh, I was a new kid in school and, um, I go home and, um, I told my parents, somebody called this kid, you know, whatever I would have said it as a, as a third grader, or an eight year old, um, this boy on the playground called me a Christ killer. Well, A, I'm Jewish. I didn't know who Christ was as an eight year old. And um, so what my dad um, did, he was uh, actually here's some synchronicity for you, Mike, is that my dad was really into boxing. He um, is, you know, a lot of influence from my father in my life. But in any event, he he had enlisted in the army and that's how he got through um, undergrad and medical school was on. um, on the VA opportunities coming out of World War II. But anyway, so he had been teaching me how to box as a kid. That was something that we just did. So he upped my game that night. And that day, uh, the next day I went to the playground and I punched the kid in the nose. And of course I was called in with my parents to the principal's office. And I tell you the look on my dad's face, he was so proud of me. And, um, then actually I was like, oh, okay, it's okay to punch someone in the face. So, you know, I punched some other kid in the face when he, she actually was calling a neighbor, picking on a neighbor. But, um, you know, going back to, um, you know, what my confession is, 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 is understanding systemic racism. Um, I was talking with one of my colleagues in the industry. She's a black woman, cannabis physician, um, highly, highly educated, uh, anesthesiologist, And she was uh, uh, sharing with me how she's considering putting her house up on the market in the next year or two as her her family has grown. And she said how uh, looking around her house, how she was going to have to take down her her family photos of the black family photos, take down the African art and how that was going to impact the sales price of her home. And it was like, wow. Right. You know, is that I don't think about I don't know that I don't think about that. And, um, you know, just, you know, as I've uh, been focused on raising awareness of the need for social justice, of the need for equity and just these first person accounts that, yes, I've had some really shitty, stupid ass things said to me, but, you know, because I'm a white, you know, there's, um, I, um, not with the significance of what's, what other people, how you lead your life.
0: I appreciate you for sharing that. You know, even in the preview, one thing we we're talking about was just the stigma with the word social justice. Mm-hmm. You know, I say social impact. Sometimes people think that's social justice, too. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just like there's all this stigma associated with trying to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. you know, that people really don't even understand what we're talking about. You know, in the first place.
1: Right. Right. And that's where I think it's just, it's huge. Um, you know, my, my kids are, are grown and out of, out of school, but, um, to, you know, I hope that they are educating. I would imagine not every school is, but what is systemic racism? Where does that come from? You know, on that, I mean, drilling down to how somebody, the value of, of what you can get for your home.
0: Yeah. I have friends, like I said, they don't, they get, triggered when I bring up systemic racism or systematic, right? It's crazy now, you know? What do you but mean, like
1: tr- what about it triggers them? I mean, are these white or black?
0: Uh, White people, mm-hmm. to be quite frank, uh, tend to be pretty conservative uh-huh. um, and they just don't see it. You know, and I go back to things like the jockey syndrome. I'm yep. like, you know, what would uh, legislation look like if black and brown people were in the room? Black and brown people are not going to purge themselves. From participating in industries and being able to invest in industries and create all these requirements, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that exclude them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I talk about when I say systemic, this sense of like people making decisions and implementing systems that affect us without any of our input. So again, it's like forcing this kind of stuff on us, whether it's education, whether it's criminalization, whether it's all this other stuff within America. Mm-hmm. That's my personal opinion around systemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I even had a friend tell me that's not systemic, that's just systematic, and I was like, "Who is writing these rules? Like, what, black people have been talking about systemic racism right. for years. Don't tell us what systemic racism right. means. Right. Us. That's, that's, know, that's
1: that's white arrogance. I don't. Yeah.
0: What? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even. I don't even call it like white arrogance. I just think it's in a sense of like it's like both sides, right? You got like you got far right people then you got really far left people and both of them are changing terms and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so we yeah. really should be the ones to dictate it because right. it affects us. Right. And so it gets back to that. right? All right. Before we, before you educate our listeners, I do got to give a quick plug to our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by none other than dope coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for Black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate Black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. I love Dope Coffee, and I'm super proud of the team in Atlanta. So be sure to head to the website and show them some support. You can get your Dope Coffee at www.realdope.coffee. It's a badass brand founded by a Black Marine veteran and his wife, Michelle. Uh, Badass Marine veteran, Mike Lloyd, and his beautiful wife, Michelle. I mean, what more do you want? Check out some Dope Coffee. And I also need y'all to head over to confessionsofanativeson.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you're interested in having me speak to your organization, click the link on my website and someone from my team will get back to you as soon as possible. All right, Jackie, the theme of today's show is equity in the cannabis industry. Right. How about you take it back for us? Talk to us about the history of sure, America yeah. Within America.
1: Yeah. Well, so you go back to this was I mean, and then where T-PED comes into play. So um, Mero uh, going back to the 1930s. So so um, and that is when it actually um Marijuana, cannabis was part of a physician's black bag, literally a black bag um, from the 1840s essentially to where where it became illegal and was removed from the U.S. pharmacopoeia in, I think it was 1940. So this had clinical, you know, physicians at the time saw the benefits of, um, oh, Queen Victoria used it for, um, she had an inordinate number of children. So related to women's health, um, that was, um, of, of course, in, in uh, Britain at the time, but um, on treating headaches, pain, uh, physicians uh, saw the efficacy at this time. So then uh, going to then after World War One, where um, the... You know, the, the white men have, uh, of course, they're they're serving and the jo- who's left to um, fill the jobs at that time were the the blacks. And that you had uh, just this all these things that were coming together in American history at that time um, where alcohol was, um, had just come off a prohibition. You had the pressure on finding jobs for the white men that had come from overseas. But again, so, um, and with the pressure of these lobbying um, efforts of um, William Randolph Hearst, you know, the newspaper uh, sion from uh, Hearst Publications California. you had uh, actually the father of um, John Kennedy who was he made his uh, uh, m- you know millions of dollars from the alcohol industry. And so they were putting pressure and lobbying efforts on to keep the black man down and the fear of what the marijuana industry was going to do. I mean, as medication at that time, what it was going to do to the alcohol industry. It's not really different, actually, what's what's going on there. And that's another story to, to share. But anyway, so you had these pressures. Um, and so um, there was this uh, guy, um, William Ain is that his name? Ainslinger. And um, he was the one who who, just is uh, not unlike some of the people that you have currently in power that are on their way out um, of just as racial prejudice, unfounded racial prejudice. And um, I'm sure he's getting paid a lot of money. I haven't read anything about that. But, you know, that always um, makes people do things. Right. Um, So in 1937, the rules come into play where it was the Marijuana Tax Act that um, essentially outlawed marijuana. And also, this is written in the federal law of where marijuana, it's M-A-R-I-J-U-A-N-A. That's a word coming from the Mexicans. And uh, the really racist way to spell it is with an H. Replace that J with an H. And so this is actually um, written into federal law, um, jumping all the way fast forward from 1937 to um, where there was a very significant vote uh, earlier this month on something called the Moore Act, More Act, (MLRE), and where that was passed in the House, it didn't get through the Senate yet, um, but that actually uh, included in that uh, law is to change the spelling to get rid of that spelling. And it's, it's unfathomable to me today that we're talking about the end of 2020 and we have our federal law with a racial term in there.
0: One thing that I'm always passionate about when I think about the history in this country, a lot of native people, mm-hmm. right? Native Americans, even think about, you know, when slaves were brought in this country or even countries all over the world, you know, before you're a pharmacist, so you can appreciate this, you know, did I get that right? Are you a pharmacist? No,
1: but I'm in the School of Pharmacy. In That's the graduate of-
0: school. But yeah. Listen, I make mistakes on my podcast. When That's you said good, pharmacy, School of Pharmacy, I assume pharmacist. Yeah, I you, one would
1: think. No, it's really one would think.
0: Yep. But my point is that, you know, there's different ways people have treated different illnesses all across the world, you know? This whole pills and everything, you know, for simple boo-boos, it wasn't always the case, you know? Back in the day, people had all kinds of remedies sure, and herbs and whatever.
1: Again, this goes back 5,000 years, you know, and you have all this big money, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, the alcohol industry, you know, putting pressure. Um, and of course, then at the same time, you have this racial prejudice that's just part of the fabric of the United States. Um, yeah. So, you know, want me to keep going on the history?
0: Yeah. But going back to that, like yeah. the plant-based medicine, mm-hmm. you know, that Native Native Americans used... Uh, marijuana, cannabis. I don't even know how to, you're going to have to break it down. I go
1: back and forth, you know, so, um, It's, uh, um, you know, marijuana is considered a racially motivated uh, name for it. However, that's the vernacular. You know, that's, um, I will go back and forth. I was very, very emphatic about using the word cannabis where it's not prejudice. However, again, you know, some of the state laws uh, in uh, Maryland, for example, it's the, our regulatory body where I am, again, the state of Maryland is the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission. But you go to uh, New Jersey, you go to Pennsylvania. The actual the state law uses the word marijuana. So I don't know. And then when you and I are talking, and early on, I used to, I used weed. So it's all uh, bounce around. Um, nothing is intended to be pejorative. Weed just takes for me. It's what I've I've called it forever, and um, it doesn't take as long to say. <laughs>
0: I appreciate that because I'm confused. I mean, I yeah. really don't know, you know, it's like, oh, they're smoking flour, they're smoking this. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah,
1: I mean, it has, you know, and well, and actually when you talk about flour, yeah, when I've talked to people that I know from, you know, the black market days was, um, yeah, flour, what's flour? And I said, oh, that's bud, you know, is that um, where there's, because of the processing now of the products, I and mean, when we have um, edibles, you have concentrates, you have tinctures, uh, you know it used to be man you had um you had your flower you had your bud you had hash and that was kind of it
0: <laughs> yeah, and now it's just like it's like all over the place yeah. so all right I understand what you said about you know the history of the word and the racial mm-hmm. undertone but what was it about marijuana weed et cetera that was so dangerous you know exactly. why well,
1: that is the hysteria that this guy ainslinger i mean it's it's on him is that it goes back to and then there's um oh my gosh reefer madness so this was a movie that was made in the i don't know 1938 something like that you know uh between 1937 and 1940 and it was um you know black men smoke this they're gonna they're gonna or they do rape white women um uh, you know going to, I mean this was you know the, this culture, the stigma um, that was created. and again, um, where you know we've seen it with the political climate that we have now is just um, people are dumb. they're not they're not educating themselves. they're listening to somebody who might be very charismatic and um, just not understanding the facts.
0: So when did it become, um, take us up to the war on drugs. Sure. So War
1: on drugs. So that's, um, yeah, interesting. So that's Reagan administration, but from 1937 and fast and through every single, um, uh, president had an, a stance against, uh, marijuana, including Obama. And um, so what where this has come from, how it has become part of our our culture um, in, you know, in, in a legal way is um, uh, going back to the 1990s, where, again, 1996, where um, California was the first state to have a legal program. But it was it was actually the AIDS patient. We're putting pressure in the AIDS advocates that um, with one of the um, uh, symptoms of um, AIDS is wasting disease. And so one of the benefits um, and actually, you know, people think about like, oh, you smoke weed, you're going to get the munchies. Well, actually not. Um, You know, some some uh, the more scientific word for a strain is called a chemovar. Um, But, you know, just using the vernacular of a strain is that Some strains um, absolutely do give you, you know, uh, give you the munchies, you know, do stimulate the appetite um, and other strains do not. So in any event, you know, back here we are again to the 1990s um, with the advocacy coming in from San Francisco where the AIDS epidemic was so prevalent. And of course, and then um, nationally was um, that was the advocacy that um, uh, uh, launched where we are today the, uh, uh, legal medical cannabis programs. Um, and then we're essentially a domino effect on the West coast, um, and moving, um, across the country on legalization, Colorado. Um, I'm going to get my date wrong. Uh, uh, um, uh, maybe 2013, I may be off on that was, um, the first state to have a legal recreational market or adult use market. And, you know, and here we are today where, um, according to a Pew Research report, I think it's 82% of Americans believe that everybody should have access to medical cannabis.
0: And then you saw the imagery too, once they kind of, pivoted to the war on drugs this idea of like the potheads and the dope heads and oh, like sure. you know That's, yeah I would
1: um uh you know with my kids um I have three daughters and raising them um they were in elementary school in the um 19 in yeah, 1990s mid 1990s to late 1990s and officer dare the dog would come in meanwhile um mommy spices were in the freezer at home and um Um, you know, I would talk to my daughters and I would say, Hey, you know, there's, um, alcohol, you know, here you have, you have cigarette, you have tobacco, you have alcohol and you have marijuana and alcohol. Absolutely hundred percent is poison. Alcohol absolutely is poison for many people. And I educated them looking at the, um, the family tree on both sides, you had alcoholism. This is something that's in your genes, you know, in your DNA. And you need to know and have this awareness of, um, if you're going to drink and, um, and what possibly can happen. And that marijuana and their mom being one, and it um, is one that marijuana works far better uh, for me as uh, than alcohol does. My body, as I was um, told once by a physician, I've I'm missing that enzyme to actually process alcohol.
0: Non- and, it's, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that America already understands how dangerous alcohol could be. So much so they passed prohibition in this country. You know, yeah. so it's not like, you know, when you think about like alcohol, that it was just like so friendly, you know, that it was like the greatest thing ever that it didn't have its side effects. But this focused effort around marijuana. And I'm curious to hear your take on, you know, the criminalization that it led to yeah. of particularly black men uh, in, in black men in urban communities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just keep it down. I mean, I can't, it can't get any simpler than that. Right. And, um, you know, this fear, um, yeah, I, you know, Mike, just to be honest with you, cause it's just, it's so foreign to me. I mean, to think like that, um, I don't understand it. And then, but at, at the same time, you know, so as far as like this, um, you know, the dope heads and the, the, uh, the criminal activity that comes from the inner city, um, because of marijuana, well, what happens is that, um, you know, the folks that are dealing with it are lacing it with those highly addictive medications. I mean, now, like, you know, fentanyl's in this, or um, lacing it with, um, you know, you name it. And so, of course, these people, you know, they end up building up uh, um, now rather than addiction, it's, um, um, was it use uh, syndrome? And, um, you know, going back and purchasing that. And, you know, one thing, you know, this is also a conversation is, is, is cannabis a gateway drug? Um, You know, and, and, um, you know, I could go on about this. So my conversation of, of what, if I was raising uh, a teen today, I would actually quite honestly would have a different, um, a different conversation than I had with my daughters. Um, Now I understand which the science wasn't there when I was raising my kids is that, um, as I would counsel a patient, or anybody who's inter- interested in in um, using cannabis, whether it's a standalone therapy or a adjunctive therapy, um, or even recreational, is that uh, you know the adolescent brain. If you have in your again, you know, paying attention to your family history, if there's any history of, of uh, a psychosis, you know, whether it be schizophrenia, borderline personality, bipolar disorder. Um, do not use it as a youth yeah. and you're not that you're going to go off like reefer madness, you're going to go crazy, but it could in a, a very small percentage, but yet enough that it could make an impact. And I would counsel, a, you know, no, don't touch it as a teen.
0: Yeah. I mean, just it's- alcohol, you know? Yeah. But it, it, I will say the image has changed. Like you're a very classy lady, you know, and, you know, you smoke weed, weed reefer, whatever. What do we call it? We call it uh, weed. Yeah. All right. You smoke weed. You know, my girlfriend's a very classy lady. She smokes weed. And so I don't see like how the perception I had when I was younger of it, you know? Right. And I,
1: well, right. That's the same. Oh, I went through this leadership. This very, um, um, it was an honor to be part of a leadership program in the state of Maryland. And um, at our first retreat, you know, and I'm in there with, I think, every um, uh, uh, leader within the the different departments within the state, Um, um, hospital administrations, you know, again, people who have been recognized for leadership within the state. And the the focus is um, to take a look at the socioeconomic issues that are impacting these different parts of Maryland. And then what can we do? How can we take action to improve? So anyway, back to that retreat where I'm meeting everybody and I was the outlier and I wrote my essay on the application of taking the revenue, tax revenue coming from the cannabis industry and putting it into um, mental health. You know, let's let's support people and let's, you know, provide um, mental health uh, access. So anyway, um, a bank CEO walks up to me and says, Jack, you don't look like a stoner. Wow. Right? I mean, it's like, Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, uh, uh, two hours ago, I was talking to one of the leading brains, a neurologist in the cannabis um, industry. I mean, you talk, how can this industry move forward as it has if those of us who use cannabis, whether it is medically or recreational, are sitting on a sofa eating Doritos?
0: Right. And the thing too, was, you know, the more I kind of think about it is I know a lot of high net worth individuals, right? That engage in cannabis, Mm -hmm. weed, you know, they smoke it for their aches and pains, Mm -hmm. you know, they put the, put it in their creams and all kinds of stuff. But it's to the point where it's like, are you a Yankee or a rebel? You know, you can't really tell each other, you know? So some people are scared to like speak about it publicly, but it's underground thing, but even in affluent places, you know, I've had a, my girlfriend has a company uh, body collection And uh, so she makes topical Mm -hmm. products uh, to help aches and pains for people that don't want over-the-counter medication um, and also don't want to go to a doctor and get on opioids. And one of the things that, um, you know, I had a, a mentor reach out and say, yeah, people actually invest in that stuff, you know, like she'll make a killing around it. And the thing is, like, you wouldn't know because it's like, but on the other hand, I get people that reach out to me and they say it's snake oil, you know, but we just talked about like people have been using this stuff for aches and pains, for hundreds of years, was, thousands of years, yeah. this snake oil.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, yeah, the people who um, I have supported over the years, um, cancer, you name it, you know, extremely painful um, diseases and, um, you know, cannabis has been really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: So now we got the war on drugs, right? Yeah. They're locking up people like right. crazy. Okay, uh, black, black, black America is taking the brunt of it, you know. And it's interesting to point now, you know, with the opioid crisis, right. of how that's looked at differently right. versus all the other drugs because of who was affecting. Right now, it's not stuff in the inner city; it's the people in the suburbs. The white boy,
1: right? The white, white boy, suburban white boy guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, oh, it's a public health crisis. Right. You know, we got to get them some some help versus locking us up and putting us in prison. Right. But where do we get to? So how do we go from, all right, criminalization, war on drugs to, you know, now this like, okay, we're going to make it medical, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, is it medicinal is the term for the medical, right? Mm -hmm. And now take us up to where we're at today to where like, we're on the verge of this industry, Mm -hmm. right? And now I feel like COVID is going to accelerate it, just to be quite frank. Um, I just think that you know, companies and people with money are going to be looking for new investment opportunities, you know, because industries are dying. Old industries are dying and new industries are emerging. So I'm curious to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, and actually, I mean, to your point, so um, as far as the impact of COVID on this industry is, I mean, the industry is gangbusters because cannabis is very effective on treating anxiety. So, you know, everybody, you know, we just have this a lot of anxiety going on between COVID and what was happening is still happening in the political climate. Um so um yeah I um I'm sorry I got sidetracked. I was thinking like my brain went ahead to something else.
0: No, that's, it's good. This is yeah. part about the podcast. This ain't a you know it's not a it's not a soundbite. We get to chop it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was saying again about how, you know, to the, where we're at today so where right? we are today right and
1: so actually you know what's um it's the power also of the 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 moms you know the advocacy of the mothers that it was Sanjay Gupta in um you know CNN um, health reporter and he a yeah, physician um, trained with that stigma that's actually how I grew up was that um, my father was a physician my sister is a physician um six years older than me. She pulled me aside and and read me the Riot Act that I, you know, I you know like hey um you know are you going to grow up and be a a nurse and help your daddy and I was like no I'm going to grow up and be a doc you know be a doctor and be his boss and so that's that was the track that I was on and my sister yanks me aside and says you know if you smoke weed or you get into weed you're never going to be able to get your medical license um and so um you know but yet I was watching two older sisters and I've, I've, I've lost one, but there was one thing what they're saying. There's another thing what they're doing. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. hypocrisy all around. Um, but yeah. So then back to the mom. So Sanjay Gupta, he um, wrote a piece on um, or, or uh, developed a piece that actually put CB, CBD on the map for America was um, this um, young woman who died, um, Charlotte Teague, she died um, this spring during um, whether it was complications of related to COVID, COVID but she had a very, very destructive and debilitating um, seizure disorder, very intense epil- epil- form of epilepsy. And CBD um, has tremendous efficacy. On either, um, you know, these are these are children that are ha- seizuring hundreds of times a day, and you have to be aware. Not only is it it's the kids that it's impacting them obviously, but it's also what's happening to their siblings, and it's also what's happening to their parents. And how how can somebody go get a job while their kid is seizuring, you know, hundreds of times a day? So in any event, um, um, Charlotte's um, mom um, through her research discovered. Um, uh, the uh, getting into the complexity of the science behind cannabis but they're referred to as the cannabinoids these are the um, chemical compounds so THC is the one that everybody's aware of that that's has the psychotropic effects that's what makes you quote unquote high and then CBD is what everybody is aware of now it doesn't have the psychotropic effects and it also has a lot of um, clinical and medical value so in any event um, Charlotte's mom finds this um, learns of this strain that essentially, I mean, not essentially, does come from these, um, these brothers that are growing in Colorado. Um, And it was called originally, I think it was called Hippie's Disappointment, because it was so high in CBD, that doesn't get you high, or, you know, when somebody was, you know, searching out to get the psychotropic impact, but it had tremendous uh, efficacy on treating Charlotte's Uh, Charlotte's um, uh, seizure disorder. And, you know, and then you have them in this movement of of, um, families that are what's referred to as a medical refugee, where they're actually taking up and moving their family to California or moving their family to Colorado so that they can have access to this medicine.
0: And this, so this is moms really kind of. pushing oh, yeah, the and
1: it is the moms. I mean, the advocacy, of the mothers. It's the, um and also the mothers. I mean, so these are uh, the mothers of uh, children with these incredible seizure disorders, epilepsy, as well as in autism. And there's a really strong, and this is you know we're talking about tech, the power of Facebook to have people to be able to connect and find each other. Um, you know, again, going back to ninety-seven percent of physicians were not trained about cannabis science in their in their curriculum. Um, if it was presented to them, or it is presented to them, it's actually presented um, um, when they're learning about addiction. And so it is. Um, yeah, actually, I, I have a very uh, dear friends, um, the neighbors, and their son is on the autism spectrum, and I've been talking to them about. Um, treating, um, the sun with cannabis. I mean that, you know, this is what I study. This is what I've, I've seen. And it's just, yeah, they're, they're not ready yet. You know, I just keep throwing them all these studies. Um, I'm actually really excited. Um, January 7th hosting, uh, three of the leading cannabis science, um, physicians, um, who this is what they're devoted their professional careers to the study of cannabis and how they're successfully treating people.
0: So in the process of serving this market, mm-hmm. right? Where were these mothers, you know, before that, right? Were they just going to like the weed man to kind of get sure, the yeah. Get the marijuana oh, there's
1: um there's a really incredible movie that um I think it it um, was released maybe two years ago, and I urge, I, 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 it's on Netflix, it's called Weed the People. And these are families, absolutely, who are, I mean, imagine you have a child, like, you know, we're talking about, who's seizuring, um, and that whatever you can do within your power. To make your child well or to make your child feel better and you know absolutely this is where snake oil comes in you know people taking advantage it was really scary where um this mother i mean you know this people taking advantage of spending hundreds thousands of dollars to have access to this plant-based medicine and um so there's one really powerful segment in this movie where um scientists come in, they take a sample, I mean, a researcher, you know, it's nothing scary, like somebody shows up in a white suit, but they go into the to the family's home and they they take it back to the lab and they test what is purported to be this cannabis medicine and they bring back the lab report and it's poison. I mean, it could have killed the kid. And that this is where, um, why we need regulation is um, that, Um, You know, cannabis is used very successfully to treat people with really serious disease, you know, people who are dying of cancer, people who are suffering, suffering from these debilitating diseases, and they have these compromised immune systems. And so you have something like a a heavy metal um, that's in uh, one in their medicine, it can be disastrous.
0: So even then though, when we talk about equity within this space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the process to get a license to service the hospital? Who where were this where was this stuff coming from? You know, the original medicinal marijuana. Yeah, way so before, I mean,
1: black market, right? So then you have black the market. Yeah, black market, but then you have these medical programs rolling out. And so then it is to put in place these these regulations that, you know, included in that are testing, you know, that um, there's it's referred to as seed to sale. So the uh, and tracking, you know, uh, so the moment that a a cannabis seed goes into its its growing medium, it is literally tracked, you know, becomes a plant, it's harvested. And um, for the most part, there's um, a tech platform or application referred to as, or it's named Metric, M E T R C, and that is the uh, uh, tech application that tracks. Most um, states use this tech application. Um, they, they, you know, from the it go until that product goes out the door with the patient.
0: And so- yeah. So because I remember the first thing I was remembering where the weed was like legal for me. Yeah. Right. Like I just remember people used to have these cards. Right. And they could go and they could get there. Mm-hmm. And that was like the early days of like the medicinal stuff mm-hmm. to where you start to roll it out. You could go to a space. If you had your card, they would give it to you. Mm-hmm. But it was still a premium price. Correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a challenge to it. Right. And so you have to recognize, I mean, it's, you know, if it's done correctly, is that it's, um, and um, I mean, it's the challenge to the industry, the people that, you know, the owner operators, it is, um, there's uh, something called uh, uh, 280E. It's um, 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 an IRS ruling that the cannabis industry cannot write off these um, costs of goods sold that typically a manufacturing company does, you know, whether it's your marketing dollars, whether it's your um, costs related to HR. So it's, Anybody in the industry, it's already you know significantly more expensive to operate a cannabis industry. Whether you are um, a grower, a cultivator, whether you're a processor or manufacturer, that's uh, taking that plant-based material and converting into what, however, it's delivered, um, the product made rather, and then you go into the dispensary, which is the retail. Um, it's actually a really complex industry that I say it's three industries rolled into one. Again, you know, growers, agriculture processing is manufacturing. And then the third dispensary is retail.
0: I don't really call it. three. I don't even think it's that complicated. I just think it's vertical integration, just like anything else. You have a product, somebody has to ship it, somebody has to package it. There's all this different stuff associated with it. But for me, you know, I'm just talking through my lens. I know, okay, weed is illegal. All right. I know certain people have cars so they can get it for their ailments, et cetera. Then once I enter the entrepreneur space myself, yes, I start to realize that certain programs, cannabis and CBD brands can't participate, you know, because right. I was, a, I was a, I worked for an organization, uh, not Bunker Labs, but it was another organization I was doing some consulting work for. And I know it was always an issue when the 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 startups focus on cannabis and CBD because of imaging.
1: Yes, yeah, CBD. So- no, you know, and that's a whole other story. Um, you know, it's what has seen is you know everybody and their grandmother is trying to get into the CBD, and again, it's an unre- unregulated industry, and it's it's you know, dangerous. Quite honestly, but you know, it's, it's, um, it, it sounds very simple is what you said. You get your card, you go into dispenser and you can purchase. Well, in a medical program, I mean, this is the way in theory it should work is um, you go to a healthcare provider, meaning, for example, um, in Maryland, I keep referencing, cause that's the state I'm most familiar with. It's either a, a medical doctor, a DO, a dentist, a um. A uh, nurse practitioner, a nurse midwife, um, or a podiatrist, and they, ha- in order to become a certified or licensed cannabis provider, you first have to have um, a, a licensed to practice. You you're one of these licensed healthcare providers, and then you have to have a certain number of continuing medical education hours (CME). And then, um, you know, in order for a patient to become certified on their own is they have to, um, each state has its own set of, of, uh, qualifying conditions, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's wasting disease, um, you know, uh, there's, there's again, each state has, has its own In any event, so you have to have, um, your medical records from your, uh, uh, primary care physician take that those medical records to a certified uh, medical cannabis provider and then they write the recommendation and this is also very um, a, r- a real clear distinction is that because cannabis is federally illegal again um legal in in the majority of states now but a provider cannot write a prescription for cannabis it's it's um, very um carefully referred to as recommended
0: So all these, the big push for these dispensary licenses, these are for people to be medical providers?
1: The push for dispensaries is to sell it. So patients are coming in and the dispensaries retail. So this is where, you know, coming in and then well, with New Jersey, um, um, it is, the model is um, that hybrid of, of both adult use and medical.
0: So now the reason I bring that up is because I got pulled into, you know, some of the stuff that's going on here locally now, but now from my perspective, it seems very chaotic, right? I know people are applying for licenses. I know edibles, which is a thing now people love edibles. And I'm like, weren't people putting weed in brownies (laughs) forever, (laughs) Forever? but now it's like edibles. And I look at the branding that, you know, it's the Uh, most non-threatening branding. I mean, it's, it should be borderline illegal because it uh, looks I like. I will hardly is. agree with you. Um, you know, and then and um, you know,
1: Maryland, uh, in theory, that edibles are not legal yet. I mean, the the regulation we're waiting, you know, any day for edibles to come into market which means you know anything from a gummy to being able to sell um you know what everybody thinks of a brownie or you know a, a food product that has cannabis um in it but the workaround um is something there's a pharmaceutical name for something called a troche t-r-o-c-h-e so you see it advertised where i always like uh snicker at every commercial where um you know vitamin uh, gummy on uh, tv and it's like hey it looks just like you know, uh, a cannabis gummy that's referred to. But um, the workaround is that those cannabis companies that have the um, significant money to spend on legal counsel can say, oh, here's a workaround. We're going to package it and sell it and get it through the regs as a trokey and not call it an edible.
0: And it seems like this just goes back to this push-up, like, okay, this brand, this product has this st- stigma for so long. Now we're going to take it and we're going to package it and we're going to make, I mean, people are spending a lot of money on the branding and the ads oh, of someone.
1: Really. You know, burn with um, cookies. And now you've got Jay Z's uh, in with a company and doing um, $50 pre rolls uh, that somebody else would call a blunt. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: yeah. And so I went to Chicago and I forgot the space there in Chicago. It was like sunny or something. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, what the heck is flower? What is This is like. But the line was chaotic. I didn't, we didn't even go inside. You know, we were just curious, but the line was like around the corner. They had people out with the iPads, you know, you got guys around the corner. So I'm thinking, again, this is where we get into the equity piece of, okay, how many black people are able to own this stuff? Because from what I've been told, you got to pay like a million dollars just it, to get the license. Correct. Right? To the Very point where people exactly. were selling, weren't people selling their licenses because it was just so valuable. Yes. And it's like, how can we participate in this space from a financial, you know, I'm I, I'm a little radical. Don't, I don't care about racial equity. Give us financial equity. Sure, right. You know?
1: And that's what I'm saying is that equity is that, you know, that's the umbrella where you we know, have before we started, um, the conversation recording the conversation was that where I've been talking, my focus has been social justice. Like, no, back it up. You know, it's that it's equity and underneath that umbrella of equity is uh, social justice is health equity is economic equity, financial equity, you know, and that's, um, it's all part of that. It, it's all part of that. And I mean, to your point, and that is, um, you know, the challenge at where I had co-founded a team, uh, the second round of licenses in Maryland and um You know, there was a uh, the first round of uh, 15 licenses were awarded where there's 15 grow, 15 process and uh, 102 dispensaries and um, a lawsuit was immediately filed where there was a black physician who actually scored higher than companies that were white owned. And um, so he sued that um, it was essentially discrimination. And so um, the Black Caucus of Maryland picked up on this and came together and put pressure on the governor where the governor then um, um, uh, uh, required a a diversity study to be done. A big surprise, what came out was that uh, African-American women are most disadvantaged, and actually you drill it down to Native American, African Native American women. Um, so no surprise. So then this uh, second round of licenses uh, came in, uh, came to be, um, there was a delegate, Cheryl Glenn, who unfortunately now is serving in federal prison or jail um, for um, um, embezzlement, or not embezzlement, took some money for licenses um but in any event um you know, so the second round of licenses uh co-founded a team i was the only white face on the team we had a significant powerhouse group of women um that um actually the who was going to be our grow and had the land was uh two sisters who they have um their family were sharecroppers and, you know, you can't get like, who, I mean, just the stories of the people that we, the, the women that we had, but we couldn't get money. We didn't have access to capital. So who do we have to go to? The white guys and the stupid shit that was said to us along the way that would never be said to a man.
0: Please tell us on this podcast. So I want people to hear it because they have no idea. Oh, know? my gosh.
1: Um, what are you making for dinner? Um, I mean, that's just an aside. Um Oh uh, well, let me see. You know, because I try and block these
0: things from my head. I hear you try to purge it.
1: Yeah, you try and purge it. Um, you know, is that somebody? Um, one of my teammates was um, you know, getting uh, getting frustrated and angry. Um, and you know, just frustrated. I mean, this back and forth and back and forth. And um, um uh, I'm trying to think of how many different groups of white men that we went to to, to secure our funding. Um, oh, um where it happened to be that my co-founder and I, uh, went through divorces. So that's why we hate men because we got divorced. I can't fix your divorce. I mean, how would that ever come into any business conversation that you would ever have? Right.
0: Positions of power. Cause they knew they could get away with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know? it's just like, you know, it's, uh, just putting in you know, trying to put me into my place, but all that does is make me even
0: louder. Who is making these decisions about who can participate in the space?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, is that's-
0: this, go- is this government, I mean, like where, like really like who are making the decisions? Like, okay, we got all these people that have applied for licenses. Right. We're going to give it to these people. And oh, by the way, there's no black people.
1: Well, so what happened with Maryland on um, the second round of licenses? So they, the state contracted with um, Morgan State University. And so the application, and this is a significant amount of work. Um, people make a lot of money to help write and support writing an application. You know, they're getting a uh, hundred thousand dollars a minute. It's, it's I mean, you're you're staying awake for a week when it comes down to getting to this to the better end. Um, you're pulling in scientists. You know, you're building a team of educators. And it's really complex to get it done right. Um, so in any event, um, what happens is then theoretically um, you have. Uh, points awarded for if you are, um, a minority majority owned so that, you know, at least 51% of your ownership is, um, minority. Um, and so, and if you were going to be establishing your business in, um, an economically depressed area, you know, every state or municipality has a different way of phrasing that. And so theoretically it's all based on points. Um, and so then these applications, um they are all pulled together and there's you know theoretically they're blinded and then just reviewed for and did they does this team get points for this that and the other thing
0: um and that's uh, without even paying what like the thirty thousand dollar fee for just apply just apply first- but you know
1: meanwhile you've had I mean all the money to oh um you know and the lobbying dollars that go into it that um you know particularly I mean every state has a different way to do it where um in New Jersey to have that, essentially that endorsement of that uh, municipality where you want to set up your business and that you've got the blessing or the approval of that municipality. Um, and that takes some effort, you know, is to, have, to go into uh, an area and build those relationships.
0: You, where do we look currently nationwide with regards? Cause I know, I know New Jersey had like, no, I'm not sure you, I don't want to say anything that's wrong, Yeah. but yeah. what do we look across the boards in terms of a number of, Black and brown people owning mm-hmm. equity within this space from the, you know, production to the distribution?
1: Sure. Less than one percent blacks own. Well, this was, you know, may, maybe there's an improvement because we've had more licenses roll out. But I mean, just about this time a year ago, I had a T-PET event um, in D.C. with a fellow named Corey Barnett, who um, he was one of the one percent of blacks that own a cannabis license in the U.S.,
0: Not surprised. And here's the deal. You know, black people own less than 2% of small businesses within you own less than 2% of businesses in the U.S. Yeah. Represent 13% of the population. And then here's the other thing I'm going to ask you, too, because I see this in a lot of other industries. What is black owned?
1: Totally. Exactly. Is, you know, let's buy a black face and put it on our application. Oh, yeah, that that absolutely that happens.
0: Yep. So we really don't know true estimate. We no. we can't tell you. I mean,
1: and and that's probably
0: like, less than one yeah.
1: 1%. Right. I mean, that, and that's exactly um, you know what I what I'm going to is is um, or my point to be made is that you know, to um, create these regulations that you're going to require a minority business owner. But are you going to what's compliance look like? Yo, is that well? You get the license, and then they're not part of running that company, um, or that um, the money that that company, the um, the income earned, does not go back into the community. I mean, that's where um, you know, Maryland was the first state to include a focus on equity in its application in this HB two round of of uh, license applications. And um, I've lost track of time with COVID. What <laughs> 2019. Um, and um, actually it was HB2, might have, it was 2018. In any event, then you had Illinois was the next state to make headway in equity where Illinois did it better, where they actually created a fund. So out of the revenue that came from the cannabis industry, that this money would this fund was created to to uh, uh, for capital to build these businesses. And now the New Jersey is taking it theoretically, e- even farther is to, um, and again, these these regs haven't been created yet, but that we're going to have the revenue we're going to put into workforce development. We're going to have something called a craft grower, where it's rather than something where a company coming in and creating um, a space, a hundred thousand square feet, is you have the opportunity for a far smaller operation where somebody can, can grow cannabis and, and would be able to sell it legally.
0: So what can we do to participate in this industry, in this space? You know, because another thing is like, isn't it weird with money? Like they can't sell it because it's not regulated by the government. So they got to have cash. You know, you got to pay cash. You can't run with credit card fees. I mean, it's like, damn, man. It's like, can the little man, do we have any chance whatsoever? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like it, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, and as I, as I say, you know, been behind the curtain and see these operations in play and who who is running them, It it, it is really frustrating, um, uh, makes me really angry. There's um, a, a black young woman that I've been mentoring for the last couple of years, and she, in the last conversation that she and I had on the phone earlier this week is, Jackie, I deserve a space in this industry. I deserve a spot. But, you know, the story of what she's going through right now is that um, she was working at a dispensary in Maryland. Um, The dispensary um, used the excuse of COVID to um, uh, lay off fire dispensary tenants that they weren't, they didn't have the revenue to support the income to support and who, what was what was the skin color? Black. Yep. Right. But you know what her story is? she figured out she, um, going in as a dispensary agent. And then with her efforts, um, she, uh, took on where, uh, keeping track of the inventory is incredibly complex. Again, you know, this is what we're talking about. And she discovered that there was diversion going on inside the dispensary and she figured it out and they put so much pressure on her. And, um, and they're trying to blackball her now from getting a job within Maryland. And I said, now, nah, you know, this is what T-Pad's all about. She actually was um, part of the inspiration of, of, uh, of me founding T-Pad um, in February 2019. But um, yeah, so I'm I'm focused on helping her find a civil rights attorney um, and making some noise about this. It's just wrong. Yeah. It's a white-owned dispensary. He put the name of the dispensary. Um, it's licensed in his wife's name so that it's in, it counted as a minority. And diversion's coming from the very top.
0: You know, you see that a lot, too, in terms of, like, minority, right? Mm -hmm. I I know you're a female, so not to be disrespectful, but I've also noticed for a lot of Black people, right, for women, you know, sometimes just women in general are counted the same thing as Blacks and Brown people, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, again, people got to be very clear of, like, okay, what are we trying to accomplish here? Are we trying to accomplish more Black-owned businesses? Okay, then we need to say that. If we're trying to accomplish Black and Brown-owned businesses, we go, okay, say that, you know? Minority owned businesses, a lot of times we get lost in the sauce and then we have that 1% number that you're talking about. And for me, the reason I'm so passionate about this and I'm so happy you're here to talk about it is, you know, I think a report came out of the Fortune 500 companies, like five, four of them have black CEOs, right? No surprise there. And we talk about the statistics. Okay. And now I'm like, yo, these legacy industries, they're kind of set in stone, You know, we're never going to get equity in those places. Those companies have been around, they've ipo would et cetera. We have emerging industries, cannabis, podcasting, all this other stuff. What are we doing to ensure that we're able to participate in these from an economic perspective? You know, and if we don't do stuff like you're doing in TPAD, you know, to, to bring awareness around this, it's just going to repeat the cycle over and over again.
1: Absolutely. Right. You know, and you were asking like, what can be done. And this is to, you know, so with TPAT is to raise awareness of what. Um, breaking down barriers, you know, and that um, education of this is um, what education looks like and how you move forward and in, in with education, whether it is, um, you know, trades, um, you know, uh, bringing back a strong apprentice programs. I mean, this is particularly in the cannabis industry It's tremendous opportunity, um, to take somebody, um, out of high school and, um, teach them, um, the, the growing techniques, um, take, you know, urine processing, um, you know, manufacturing. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of opportunity all the way to, to um, um, te- there's the t scholarship for minority entrepreneurship. So, um, what that looks like is to to uh help support somebody while they're in college and and take those courses on um how to be an entrepreneur you know you're going to need accounting you're you know as you know i mean the skill sets that you need to have to the knowledge assets that you have to have to be successful
0: absolutely i'm also interested to see like again there's so many supporting roles that are going to be available too like the packaging the shipping the right. distribution right. you know there's a guy making a killing delivering cash just picking the cash up from these dispensaries because mm-hmm. it's just so much money. Um, but I like the idea of T Pad. I like the idea of the scholarship mm-hmm. and getting these people to kind of talk and have these conversations. Like, hey, I might be a good branding guy. You know, you're the good upfront capital guy. Let's exactly. like, how do you- right, right,
1: right, 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 yeah. So that's T Pad's about. So yeah. So let me talk about the history of T Pad, where it came. Absolutely. So um, tea pads were speakeasies in the 20s and 30s. So where I started at the very beginning of our conversation of where uh, marijuana was introduced to the black uh, black culture in New Orleans at the uh, with the slave trade. And so you had um, the uh, where there was a commingling of the Mexicans and working, um, working in that area and that they uh, with them was what we call marijuana. And so then as um, Blacks became free, moving up and migrating up North and settling into the urban centers like Harlem, and so with them came cannabis. And so there's great quotes, this is also, Segueing and and the synchronicity with the um, the birth of American jazz. we at the same time, you know, going back to um, New Orleans, where the music, you know, coming from um, the influence of of African music and European culture and the music, and again this migration to then where you have the Speakies in Harlem, where you had um, Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington, Billy Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald. Um, uh, uh, let's see who was uh, most recently with um, um, some of the, the uh, oh my gosh, I can see his Duke Ellington, where um, referred to it as gauge and that there's this great quote about that. You know, my funny my my what do they call it, like my silly gauge is better, better for me and better for my music than that than alcohol. And so, tea pads were speakeasies where people of all color could get together and enjoy um, smoking some weed without the fear of any prejudice. And um, this great American jazz was being born. So, um, with the history of then borrowing that name of TPAD and um, then putting together this, creating this networking organization, which essentially is what TPAD is. And so at every TPAD event, uh, um, and this will be interesting in February, we're doing a hybrid where it'll be because of COVID, we're going to have a really small, um, face-to-face group. And then of course, we're going to be virtual, but to have live jazz, um, the, the revenue model, the business model, um, is through sponsorship tickets, um, proceeds help support the, uh, the TPAD scholarship, but, um, so people come in, Get a cocktail. These are catered events. Um, they're nice. You know, live jazz is going on. Um, people are dressed a bit. You know, business casual. I've had a couple where women come in and they're dressed like flappers from the 1920s, 30s. And then a keynote speaker, somebody who, like I referenced, Corey Barnett, who's one of those, you know, one percent um, license owners and speaking to, um, what his journey has been like, or to, um, the, the, the um, the former delegate, you know, before she, uh, um, she was incarcerated, but she actually, Maryland's program, you know, she was instrumental. And so what does, what are we doing? What is social justice? What does equity look like? Um, you know, I refer to it more as social injustice, right? And so then it, it, we have a keynote convo- uh, keyno presentation, Q and A, really pro- provocative conversations come out of this. But it's you know overall, here's education, raising awareness, what it's really like out there. How do we get to where we're going to go?
0: I love the name T Pad by the way, and your presentation at the event was fantastic because I'm a history guy, you know, yeah. and I love branding. And I was like, I've never heard of T pads before. You yeah. oh, know, you
1: know what's really cool is this. This, you know, there's just so much synchronicity. It's when um, I was getting it off the ground, and, and it happened to be really quickly in February in 2019, where um, in the cannabis industry, um, you know, the uh, the after hour, you know, you're, you're at a conference, and it's the after hour, well, like any industry, you know, it's when you're over dinner and drinks, and where the business really happens. And um, so February 2019, I was working on a um, um a conference that i was um going that i was hosting I focused on innovation in the cannabis so this is um the innovation uh, application of tech in the cannabis industry which is critical and so um had some entrepreneurs and their tech applications coming in and um so what was it what was the after party going to be and kicking around the same ideas like you know creating this this networking organization of focused on is i my um uh, intellectual understanding of what, you know, going back to systemic racism and what these young women that I was mentoring and just, you know, how they hadn't had these opportunities. And, um, so I had a law firm approach me and say, Hey, we want to be part of what you're doing. And I said, Oh, well, unfortunately I had negotiated with this other law firm. Um, and they, which I'll never do again. They, uh, they got exclusivity on, on sponsorship and, I was like, and I said, but I have been kicking around this idea, and um, would you be interested in this? Getting this off the ground, and here's what it's all about. And they they bought into the you know the foundation of again breaking down barriers and, and empowering access through education, and so being mindful of um, again cannabis being federally illegal is that I did not establish it as a five hundred one c three at that time. Um, uh, Jeff Sessions was making a lot of noise, um, making it very scary for the cannabis industry. And I did not want to be at risk for all this time and money that I was putting in. Like all of a sudden the feds are going to come in and shut this down. So, right. um, it's actually, it isn't, I've set it up as an LLC sometime when I have time, um, you know, work on, on, uh, a, another bit, um, you know, whether it's a, a, a B, a B corp or, or whatever it becomes. But um, yeah, that's how TPAD was born. So then with the business model of sponsorships and my, okay, we're going to set up the, the Billy Holiday level and the Cab Calloway level. And again, being founded in Baltimore, Cab Calloway was raised in Baltimore. And um, drill down and I find that and at that time, I, I set up the scholarship as the, um, uh, scholarship, I'm trying to think of what the name was, the uh, scholarship for black entrepreneurship at Morgan State University. So I was very specific um, at um, supporting an HBCU. And that was where the, the young women that I was mentoring were graduates from. Um, so anyway, I'm doing my research and I find out actually, um, Cab Calloway being raised in Baltimore, what did his family do? His mom was a school teacher drill down some more. Well, where did his mom go to school? Where did she become educated? I mean, we're talking about a black woman turn of the 20th century. Where did she get her education? She got it at Morgan State University. So our branding um, is, and I kept calling as I'm developing the branding of what it looks like, I kept calling it her. we got to come up with a name for her. Well, um, Camp Calloway's mom was Martha Eulalia. I always screw up her last name because I was talking to somebody at the same time. It's either Reed or Banks. But anyway, so our logo, I refer to as Eulalia. is great? It's such an awesome, old-fashioned name. It's
0: beautiful. Name. It's beautiful. I like everything with your branding and the way it's positioned. It's fantastic. She has a marketing background, y'all. So this isn't, you know, <laughs> by surprise. But it stood out to me because, you know, I, do you, podcasts. I have a graphic designer do podcast cover art. And I see your stuff. I'm like... You know, I'm like, oh man, that stuff is ready to go. I was like, I like that look, and it's a thing I haven't seen a lot. I just like the class of it. Thank you. you know? Yeah,
1: you know, and it's really interesting is that um, with you Eulalia is that the way that I use that branding is that um, you know right now I'm looking on my desk is I have um, a, a T Pad sticker. It's actually it's on white, but I actually like to use it as a uh, PNG where whatever color it's Background. It's on. It is. You don't know what race she is. Yeah. You know. So. Um. But she definitely has. I think. You know. This was the intention. She has some black features. You know. I just want to incorporate. Um. The history of. Um. The black culture in what T-PED Pad's all about.
0: That's so great. That's so great. As we head into twenty twenty, what predictions do you have for the cannabis industry? Oh uh, yeah. Equity.
1: Um, as far as equity. Um, I'm so hopeful for New Jersey. You know, I really am. Is that, um, the pressure's on, um, you know, that those of us, the advocates in the industry, as I say, that are in the industry for all the right reasons. Um, you know, just let's make it work, you know, and whether New Jersey, um, I, um, you know, and related to COVID, you know, each state—we're going to have a lot of states—become um, an adult use because these municipalities have um, just the revenue impact of COVID. So Maryland was—you know—my thinking was Maryland was going to go adult use when there was the next gubernatorial election, which was 22. Um, that's not going to happen. It's, it's going to happen this year. You know, and and particularly with the pressure of New Jersey, people are going to be traveling. I mean, for me to get to Jersey is. I think I'm, I could be in New Jersey for two hours, you know, three hours. And, you know, somebody wants to go in and purchase recreational use. The proximity to um, New York City, uh, you know, somebody going, you know, what, however close, you know, 15 miles, whatever it is, just to bop over from, from New York City and go into Jersey to buy recreational products. So pressure's on. So you're going to see um more states, you know, with their with their respective legislative sessions, I believe legalizing. Um, I really hope, you know, with the um, our new administration coming into the White House, um, whether the MORE Act makes it through the Senate um, and that will be um, very impactful of the banking. Um, there's another. Um, uh, law out there proposed federal law um the safe banking act so this has to happen i mean you're talking about cash yeah i mean people's lives they're literally carrying bags of cash you know that they have they're paying the irs but um you know how do they get paid you walk into the irs office with a bag of cash
0: mail that check or something i mean it's crazy man it's crazy yeah So right now you have listeners from all across the country, all across the world. A lot of them are military veterans. Some of them aren't. You know, what closing remarks would you leave? Would you like to leave for our listeners?
1: Uh, Well, particularly for the military listeners. So is that what is um, there is so much efficacy in treating PTSD with cannabis? Um, so there is, um, a researcher that I've gotten to know. Her name is, uh, Dr. Sue Sicily. She sued the federal government to be able to have access to the cannabis that is being grown, that somebody, a, a, a candidate patient would go into a dispensary and purchase versus it's shit that comes from the university of, of uh, Mississippi. It's just not what's out on the street. And to be able to go in and do her research, um, uh, on, on treating, uh, military veterans that have, you know, he, you know, t- preaching to the choir, literally. I mean, how much you've given up and that why can't we take care of you? Why can't we take care of these nightmares that you have at night with cannabis?
0: Right. I'll tell you though, I live in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, again, I was a 25 year old Marine infantry officer mm-hmm. trained first time I got shot in Afghanistan. I see, 10 year olds, five year olds getting exposed to violence here in the city, and nobody's giving them a pass on, you know, marijuana to treat their PTSD, you know? And so that's one of the things I talk about. And so I just say all this to reinforce what you're saying about we have this opportunity now to use a plant based remedy for a lot of these issues. And at the very least, if it's already out in the marketplace, whether it's medicinal or recreational, we have an obligation to ensure that there is equity, financial, equity um, within the space.
1: Right. I mean, this is jobs, you know, where that as these big companies come in and if a black, you know, somebody is fortunate enough, a person of color to be on one of these successful license applications. And yes, it can be generational um, income generating, you know, is that these companies one just happened, um, there was a sale, um, I think it was like $213 million of one of the original license owners. Um, and yeah, that changes lives for generations. But there's also the way that New Jersey is looking at it is let's give people jobs. Let's give them training. Let's, you know, get a, li- uh, a living wage. And why can't that be?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, in New Jersey, they pass where people have to pump your gas. You know, like there's you got to someone is paid to be a gas pumper. And that's not anywhere else in the country, at least that I'm aware of.
1: Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. When I go through, right, right. You have the, the attendants still there.
0: The attend- And they did that just to create more jobs. Yeah. You know? so again, we have this industry and, uh, man, it was such a pleasure having you here today. I know you're an entrepreneur. You're in the hustle, but you made time for me and my listeners. Where can people follow you and how can they support your efforts?
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. So let's see, starting off at the top. So, um, well, it's J-A-C-Q-U-I-E, Cohen Roth. I'm on LinkedIn, um, cannabismd.com. Uh, on um, Instagram, it's cannabis.md. Um, it's another challenge actually, you know, in the industry where Facebook came in and wiped out my um, cannabis MD account. You know, we had uh, a few thousand followers and rebuilding that, you know, just all these things that you don't think about what, ha- what happens in a federally illegal industry. Um, and then tea um, T-E-A-P-A-D.co, C-O. And on Instagram, um, it's Uh, T pad underscore Baltimore, um, is the original IG. And then, um, with the new launch, we have, um, T pad underscore NJ for T pad, New Jersey.
0: Excellent. Be sure to check her out. Y'all add her on LinkedIn, see her stuff. I'm telling you her branding, her artwork is on point and you might learn something. And, uh, you know, she's in my network now and I'm excited to see all the amazing stuff that, uh, she's going to do for, uh, T pad. And in particular here in the state of New Jersey. Uh, for everyone else, I need you to do me a favor too. Be sure to subscribe and support this podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review on iTunes. Also, for this show, to anyone in your network who you feel identifies with the subject matter. I need you to also head over to confessionsofanativeson.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you like this type of dialogue and are interested in booking me to speak at your organization, you can contact me through the website. Just click the tab that says book me to speak. Fill out your contact information and someone from my team will get back to you as soon as possible. You can order some dope coffee at www.realdope.coffee. We've got to start supporting our own businesses, y'all. It's black and veteran owned, and it is the epitome of economic empowerment. Feel free to message me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at mikeatweirironbound.com. Special shout out to my co-producer, Mike Lloyd, and the team from the Gifted Sounds Network, Rootin' for everybody that's black until next time. Peace, love and have a great rest of your week.